Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Last night in the US, we saw four of the biggest US banks fall more than 5% and wipe more than 52 billion US dollars off their market cap. Overnight reports claim this is all because a small regional bank called Silicon Valley Banking realized a loss on assets of 1.8 billion US dollars and sought to raise equity. What's going on here? Is this a storm in a teacup or is this the start of something bigger? Today, as always, I want to introduce the star of the show, the founder, uh, the founder, co-founder and chief investment officer at Nucleus Wealth, Damien Klassen. Welcome. Hi. Okay. Very good. Very good. Great to have you here. We also have Shelley George, Nucleus Wealth's chief operating officer and host of Nucleus Wealth Empower podcast. Shelley, welcome. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. And uh, belated happy International Women's Day to all our listeners. Nice one. Nice one. Uh, my name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Just a reminder, the information in this podcast is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact and you can book a call with me. We are live every Thursday at 12.30 Sydney, Melbourne time. So jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. You can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is available on all majors. So Damo, I'll hand over to you to lead us away. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So um, I know we've uh, we rescheduled this from yesterday, and and uh, we we're looking to do some more on sectors. But but given the 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 action overnight, I think it's well worth uh, well worth having a look at. Uh, and the reason why is because it's one of the first times we've seen uh, bond yields falling, um, so bond prices rising and stocks falling at the same time, which is sort of the traditional um, uh, effect that you expect once you. You're starting to price in some bad news and, and recessionary issues and, and things like that. So, so it could easily be a false start, um, uh, but it's it's sort of it, it's at least um, emblematic of, of of how the market's looking at this because it's been looking at it quite differently in, in prior, well, certainly over the last uh, couple of months, where we've we've often seen uh, the opposite occur is that uh, you know, we see the bond yields fall and then tech stock, and tech stocks rally on on particular days and and then that reverses and. And we see them both um, sort of heading down at the same time. So, uh, you know, there's this uh, on, on fears of higher inflation and, and things like that. And so this this is a, I guess, a, um, a, a potential sign that what we're talking about, what we've been talking about for a while and what, you know, I think what a lot of the bond market is expecting is that, um, you know, we head into recessionary type uh, events. And if you're going to recessionary type um, environments, then you start to see bankruptcies rise. If you start to see bankruptcies rise, it starts to hit the banks and it actually brings your earnings down. Whereas, you know, for the last little while, um, it's, it's always been the opposite in that uh, interest rate rises have been seen as a positive thing for banks because they get to expand their margin. And so therefore, um, you know, uh, bank prices rise. Whereas this is starting to go, yes, it's, it's fine. That, that's correct at the start. Um, as long as you don't get the bad debts. So now this question about is about the bad debts. So I sort of thought I'd run through some of the um, some of the specifics about some of the small banks um, because it's not while, while there's there's one particular bank, um, this uh, Silicon Valley Bank that's that's sort of been uh, post child there, and there's another um, there's another crypto bank um, that that was causing problems, which are sort of you know both the sort of um, idiosyncratic, like they've got special things about them which is causing a problem, is that the question is, is this just a, the canary in the coal mine and is there sort of more things to, to follow up from that? So I thought I'd, I'd jump in and sort of talk about some of these um, smaller banks and, and what the issues are in some of those. Uh, Shelley, is there anything I... Um, I did jump out there for a second, so apologies. Uh, I think as you were saying that, one of the things that um, when I was looking through this morning what was going on that occurred to me was that part of the issue with um, 
SBB, I think, was that um, you know they've been they've been holding treasuries uh, as long term assets, but um, probably not as they weren't with the expectation to hold them to maturity, and so obviously taking quite a hit on those as the interest rates have um, gone up so much in the US. And one of the figures I thought I think was that there's about six hundred and twenty billion dollars worth of unrealized losses as it was in the whole banking sector in the US um, as a result of those interest rates um, moving up. So I think that's really interesting part of what's going on. And I, I don't actually know, that might just be a drop in the bucket for the, for the US, but certainly you know, the banks would be holding these treasuries and they would be taking losses on the moves that um, we're seeing in rates. Mm. Yeah, and, and, but I think it's, it's also the deposit side in terms of um, that Silicon Bank one in particular is that yes, they, they, they were um, you know, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of companies in Silicon Valley raising money and then spending that money. And then mm. raising more and spending that money, and, and they they sort of got benefited from that. And, and given there's been a problem now in terms of uh, raising money, is you know the, the, they keep spending until their deposits are waking up. And I think that's that's where I wanted to sort of start with on this whole. Um, uh, I've got a few slides all from uh, T.S. Lombard just on the uh, some of the dependency that different dependencies you see within the, the U.S. banking system. So so while at the aggregate level uh, things don't look too bad. Uh, there is a, a bit of a mix between the small banks and the large banks and, and where we can start to see some uh, funding potential problems and, and if uh, some of these loans start to, to spiral out of control. So I might start with some of these slides and I'll run through that and then maybe we can talk through some of the issues and where, where that might sort of lead to problems. So um, first I've got a slide up just talking about this. Uh, the small banks, uh, they're more dependent upon loans uh, for income. So it's just looking at loans as a percentage of, of deposits and seeing that, you know, it's, Sort of up around that 80 percent level for, for smaller banks, whereas whereas larger banks have, have been uh, decreasing their their exposure to to that part. Uh, if you so look, if their income's not from loans, what's it from? Oh, uh, so you get loans from a whole bunch of other factors. Whether you're doing um, uh, yeah, corporate market activity, you're um, mm. you're doing your and sorry, this is a, this is a, a loans versus deposits as well. So it's sort of talking about it's actually sort of it's, it's talking less about the overall how much money is coming in from loans, but it's also um, uh, so, so. Okay, let me let me take one step back. How, how does a bank how does a bank work? So, in, in, in a big picture, in a big picture, um, a bank takes in deposits on on one side, and, and that's um, often very cheap funding in terms of people put the money in. Uh, they don't demand a high um, uh, high interest rate. Uh, and and or you have a banking relationship with companies or, or whatever it is, and they've just got these these large balances there, and they 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 all rotate around, and then and then so I get to lend that money out. So that's that's my that's I get this huge margin on that. I'm borrowing at you know probably even less than one percent on average at the moment for a lot of banks, and then lending it back out to to mortgage holders at six or seven percent. So so there's this huge margin I get on that. Then you start getting other types of financing though, because that doesn't cover everything. And you start slicing in, and, and various levels that, that all demand higher and higher rates, and then you get to sort of the wholesale funding, and the wholesale funding is is where you start getting to the point where um, you know the wholesale funding level you are getting um, you know quite large people who are very price sensitive come and say, yeah, look, I'll lend you money on a, on a short term basis, but I want you know five and a half percent on it, and, and you're lending it out at six six and a half, mm -hmm. and so you're getting these very small margins. So you've got this average margin over your entire book but it's ma it's made up these different types of funding and and the deposits funding is, is the best stuff that's the stuff you want and so it's the cheapest and you can make the most profit the cheapest. It. Right. Yeah. And so and then i think you were saying in that chart that you're talking about the income side of things as opposed to the cost side of things right yeah yeah that's right so um uh yeah yeah so but i think the what we're looking at is for every deposit you bring in, what are you doing with that money? Are you, are you using that money somewhere else? Um, say, say you know, like the, the treasury argument is about saying, okay, I've taken in this cheap deposit, I've, invested, I've put it into treasuries and I'm earning a, a spread on that, you know, versus I've taken this money in okay. and I've got lent it out. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's banks have hundreds of different ways of, you know, making money in capital and on, on all different types of loans to, to various people, companies on, you know, shorter term basis and, like that versus what you call a loan, which is more of a longer term. Yeah, so you're not you're not sort of the, the larger banks might be more in sort of overnight markets and and things like that in terms of how they how they make the money. Thank you. 
Okay, so so we've got these small banks. Um, the next thing with the small banks is then that uh, they've got a pretty decent exposure to uh, commercial real estate. Um, and so this this graph is actually showing on on two axes. And so the small banks is on the on the left hand axis, sort of in the you know twenty five percent of their loans. Whereas in the large banks, you know you back down well below ten percent in terms of the, the 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 loan to commercial real estate. And so the speculation here is that you know uh, while COVID was you know COVID's been a, been a hit on on commercial real estate and with the um, to a slight extent, um, that's sort of some of those shopping markets, but, but a lot of it's the um, more the, the office space, uh, and, and that's where the smaller banks have a much larger exposure. And so initially the, um, the thoughts were, well, initially while, while rates were low was, well, these, the, the prices of, of, of these properties are going up, even though they're not leasing them out, the, prop, the, the prices are going up because interest rates are so low. And now that's reversed and the prices are starting to come down and they're still having a few you know, issues in terms of the... Um, uh, yeah, in terms of those leases, so and, and just not not filling them as much, and so the question is: Is there a potential um, uh, banking crisis in commercial real estate? And you know, the the answer is yeah. There, there there's a potential one there. There's there's certainly fun, some fundamental issues. Doesn't mean that it's definitely going to blow up, but if it does blow up, the smaller banks are the the ones that are um, you know much more exposed to that that area of the market. Um, then you sort of go, uh, the other part is when you look at the amount of uh, what you call large deposits. Now, this is a lot of this is, is this idea of this wholesale funding is if you've got somebody who's got, um, you know, $100,000, um, they're, they're less concerned about chasing it around to a bank and, and you know, spending effort to, uh, to to get the best interest rate possible. Whereas if you've got somebody with $100 million, then yes, they're going to go around and, and they've got more time and more more capacity to spend time to, to, to go up and get the best interest rates. And so what that means is if you're if you're taking those large deposits, uh, they can leave very quickly. So uh, if you've got a whole bunch of, you know, if you have millions and millions of, 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 of clients with all with small amounts, um, okay, they can be run runs on banks and they can all just be there, but but in a general market environment, you know, if you if your rates are, and and you go from being some of the best in the market to some of the worst in the market, most of those people are going to stick with you because they literally just can't be bothered. Whereas these large ones will go, okay, you've gone from being the best to, to one of the worst ones. Okay, we're taking our money and running. And so, um, yeah, so the smaller banks there, um, you know, do have more of a concern from that perspective. So why um, does the steep increase in these so recently? I said that chart. That's a good question. I think there's, yeah, I'm, not, I'm quite, quite, I'm guessing probably it's, uh, well, actually, I'm, yeah, I'd be speculating on this one. I must admit I'm, I haven't, I haven't really... I'd have to double check on it, but I'd, I'd be guessing what it is is that pre uh, pre COVID, you know, you, you had your investments in in wherever. As COVID hit, um, people might have fled some of these banks for for safer. It's, but particularly in terms of large ones, they might have going to stuck their money in treasuries and, and things where mm -hmm. they feel as if they're safer, um, and then coming back as their, um, you know, as it, as you can get better better risk return and uh, on some of these and higher yields. I'm guessing, but yeah, that, that's. Not not hundred percent. I have to double check. Talking about this one. Oh, okay. Then I've got another similar chart, just talking about um, bank reserves as well. So, um, and just pointing out that um, yeah, the bank reserves as, as a percentage of assets. When you, when you look at the whole system, um, they come out and they're, they're not too bad, um, but it is very skewed between uh, the the smaller banks where um, reserves are quite low and the larger banks where where the reserves are quite high. So, um, you know, if there are problems in terms of funding issues, uh, smaller banks are, are more at risk. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's probably, um, probably leave that the, uh, on those, on, on the US banks, unless there's any other questions on those US um, banks. The reserves, is that part of the reason why uh, SBB had to, to sell some of their assets because they needed to yeah so so and, and but but uh, their, their bigger issues had made some big losses and so they had to yeah That's so that, that was yeah that, and then they had to raise equity to funds those losses yeah now so the question is then for for the other other banks which is where this um you know while we had such a sort of violent market reaction was um banks have been sort of creeping up on the whole idea that oh interest rates rise and that's good um 
get. Whereas now you get if you get to the phase where oh interest rate rise goes from good, I'm making more money to bad. I'm I'm now yeah I'm making more money on the ones that are are, are still going, but I'm actually got you know my my bad debts are starting to blow out and, and things like that. Um, yeah, that's the that's where you start running into that banking crisis. So that's that. Um, you know, the, the question is: is this is this like the, the warm up act in terms of saying, um, okay, this is this is what if, if things are going to get worse and we're going to start seeing um, you know, uh, bankruptcies increase and 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 more of these you know weird things happen, then um, then this is what we this is what you're out to expect: stock markets falling, bond markets rising, and and off we go. But maybe there's i mean the 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 two from last night were, were, were both very idiosyncratic yeah. i would say like i certainly wouldn't take both of those together and and then go oh right that's a sign that the whole system's about to implode um it, it, it hasn't been sorry to interrupt um it hasn't been a rise in bankruptcy sort of that of course either on that bank at this point it's no through. so i've got some bankruptcy stuff but the bankruptcy is really just starting um in terms of that uh Oh, the other the other thing that came out last night as well was, or the the, the day earlier was um, the construction. So the jobs numbers came out and they're pretty decent. But one of the things that um, did come out was a, a, just a, a big drop in terms of the job openings in term, for construction. So uh, again, that's a, something where smaller banks are going to be um, uh, more more at risk from you know, projects that are uh, you know, development projects if if that is a sign. So I think partly this was sort of like a you know a few blows all at once, and then the market was suddenly deciding, okay, well actually let's let's uh, pull back on the on the banking bit. Um, with respect to those jobs numbers in construction, is there sort of greater economic read-throughs from that? Because my understanding is construction is one of the areas that's quite a big economic multiplier, and so if that's kind of a um, a leading indicator of that sector might be growing slower or contracting um there's something yeah yeah definitely um you do get that's that's one of the very cyclical sectors and and you do notice that um so most cyclical sectors have a bigger have a larger impact uh on the economy than because they they flow through and so many people have jobs that run off that property sector um i think the the other thing is though it's been uh, the construction data has been all right. Like it's been, and, and jobs and the whole housing, US housing market um, has, has held up better than, than people have expected. And so, uh, and that's where, you know, you've seen some of the things, some of the themes start to you know, emerge in, in the last month or two where people are talking about this no landing where, you know, things just keep going, keep going up forever. Okay. And the Fed's raising interest rates and, and it's not, not, no longer talking about a soft landing, they're just talking about, oh, well, maybe we'll never land, you know, it's just, We'll just keep going, and so, um, and 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 so that's that part about going. Oh, actually, there's you know, still it's only one, you know, and these these things can be bumpy from month to month, but um, you know, just one more one more signal all at the same time that um, you know, there might be things starting to turn in, in that market. And then certainly, you know, in terms of interest rate rises, I've seen a lot of interest rate rises, mm. and they're obviously still flowing through. And so, yeah, question is when they all start to hit. Yeah. I mean, it's that's really interesting because I'm trying to think through like in terms of a uh, household budget. Okay, so we know in the US that people have these fixed mortgages, and so if you've got one already, then you're you're fine, protected. But it's if you're taking out a new one, um, mm. which would largely be leading into the construction se sector, right? You know, new builds. Yeah. Well, and if how can it keep going unless? The wages keep going, I guess. Something's got to give. Budget's set, right? So it's either these people's savings, like the deposits the banks have, they start to you know, go into those or stop spending elsewhere or um, their wages increase to basically cushion the um, increasing interest rates. Yeah, and, and, and so the US... In fact, as you said, yeah, they, they've got very long-term mortgages, so it's not as. Whereas in Australia, it's like, okay, interest rates go up, we're going to smash anyone who's got a mortgage, and they'll they'll drop their demand, and that'll help slow the economy down. Whereas uh, the US is more about, okay, new, people are going to stop buying new houses, yeah. and they're going to stop, you know, all that um, mm. you know, household formation. Everything's going to, all going to slow up, and then that will filter through and, and yeah. cause an issue. So the Australian stuff should happen way faster, which is why. Mm. Um, uh, you know, we've been talking about how, how much faster the Australian, we spoke, you know, last week and the week before about how the 
Australian economy has gone from looking like being a, a real laggard in terms of, um, you know, we got out of COVID later and so things were all the effects were sort of happening a little bit after the other markets to actually looking that some of the most recent data looks like we've jumped to the front and we might end, be, yeah, might end up leading the, the downturn. So, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, at the same time, so so we've had some reasonable jobs data out over, over the last couple of days. So the Fed's still talking, you know, we need to raise raise more, and so same you know, and that's where this this disconnect starts to starts to come. If if we start to see more and more um, that you know the Fed is looking at say you know jobs data and inflation data, which tends to be very lagging, and and ignoring um, what might be you know, quite catastrophic things happening at the coalface, um, then then the market's going to get even more concerned. So. Mm. All right, now let us down another garden path. Then, <laughs> where do we need to get back on track? Yeah, so then I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the um, bankruptcy ones. I've got a uh, some of the RM, Australian RMBS, which is a uh, residential mortgage-backed securities. We're starting to see um, delinquencies starting to rise uh, relatively quickly. There, uh, the um, uh, I've got a credit one here, which we, we spoke about last week, where we're talking about. Uh, European banks who are tightening lending standards. Now, this is a this is a similar one chart. You can get a similar one in the US and and within Australia and most other developed countries as well. And 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 it's 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 a typical in the cycle is is that actually the way banks react end up making things making things worse uh, because what happens in good times um, they're happy to give money to everyone. You turn up and you've got a pulse and it's great. Here you go, here's a loan. And then when things start to get a little bit, you start to um, get concerned because interest rates are rising and the economy is slowing and everything like that. And the bank says, okay, well, I'm going to stop lending to just anyone. I'm going to start being a bit more um, circumspect about who's actually going to get a loan. I want to make sure they actually can afford to pay it and we're going to this heightened interest rate environment. So that all makes sense from that perspective. But from a macro perspective, what's happening is um, we're going lots of money to everyone. Let's pumping lots of debt out to the market while the economy is going great. And so we're, we're supercharging the upside. And then as things are starting to slow down, all of a sudden we're pulling right back on the debt levers and going, oh, okay, let's not give money to people who need, who really need it. And the people who are getting, who are you know, starting to get borderline and they, they're like, oh, I really need to get this refinancing, otherwise I'm going broke. They're the ones that, that banks are then saying, no, no, I'm not paying. And then they have to end up with alternative mortgages or, or whatever it is at much higher rates and that might actually be the thing that actually ends up causing them, causing them to go broke in the first place, which you know, spirals that whole out of control. So... So we've got this definitely got a pullback in terms of lending standards, which, you know, as I said, for an, for an individual bank, absolutely makes sense. The system as a whole um, can can sort of cause bigger problems. And then the other one was, um, uh, you know, some of the US, uh, sorry, uh, there's another European one as well, is the yellow line on this one is uh, declarations of bankruptcies. And so they went from, yeah, so this is an index for anyone who's sort of just listening in. It, it was sort of ninety-ish uh, before the uh, before the pandemic. It sort of dropped right back to sixty um, during the pandemic because uh, you know, Europe, along with most other countries, changed the rules on on bankruptcies and made it much much harder for companies to go bankrupt, so that they sort of make it through the whole COVID thing. Uh, now it jumped back up in the third quarter, back up to that ninety level, which was sort of back to back to turn normal. And then the fourth quarter has just taken off, and it's one hundred over one hundred and ten now. So, uh, so, so twenty thirty percent higher than than what it was. Now, there's there's probably a reasonable amount of catch up you'd expect. Um, and, and what's happening there, similar to what we're seeing in Australia, is uh, you know, we had a few people on talking about how uh, the tax department in particular is back, and they're they're chasing debts quite actively now. And so, um, whereas during pandemic, that's completely went away. And, the, and the, the, they tend to be the one who actually sends a lot of companies bankrupt. Uh, and so, uh, and, and the similar thing stuff happening in the US. And so these bankruptcies and everything is, is all happening at the same time, um, all bubbling away at the background. And, uh, you know, will that, will that, will they also hit on the banks and, and we, we have that sort of all come together at once. So I think there's a pretty reasonable chance that that's, that's going to happen. Um, things might, Turn around, or we might get you know some more. We might get slapped in the or slapped in the ass by a rainbow, as, we, as we're calling it. You know, you might get lucky. So we, I mean, we sort of had had that for um, you know, I think in uh, in terms of the 
uh, weather we had in, in Europe. So Europe going through this big gas crisis, gas prices were sky high, electricity prices were sky high. Um, they had you know, one of the warmest winters ever. And so they managed to to bring prices back down because they just didn't need all the gas for heating and they ran up, you know, improved all their storages. So, um, you know, a, a fortunate event, you know, um, and, and that sort of helped a lot of things. But but you don't want to, uh, that's potentially masked some of these sort of, some of these underlying issues as well that are still still there and flowing through. So, but we get a few more events like that that happen that are all sort of quite fortunate and helping. Um, you know, economic growth grow faster, then then maybe a lot of this goes away and doesn't become an issue. But the flip side is, uh, you know, we've had record speed of, of rate rises. If that does jump into these bankruptcies, then um, yeah, then there's concerns. On, and I've certainly got my concerns for for um, markets on the back of that. Damien, I just want to jump in. Uh, I just want to share a message for our listeners about what else we do at Nucleus Wealth. So first and foremost, we are an active and passive investment manager. Our active portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage the Australian and international portfolios. The technical portfolios hold combinations of Australian shares, international shares, government bonds and cash. And we vary the asset allocation on these portfolios with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have core portfolios that are purely Australian or international equity portfolios, which are chosen from the MSCI World Index using our quality and value investment philosophy. Back to you, Damo. Yes. So market reaction. And that's that's where the interesting uh, thing, as I alluded to this a little bit before, so we saw US stocks down sort of 2%-ish um, after being up from earlier from some of the jobs reports. Uh, some of the big banks, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, down sort of 5%. Uh, some of the banks are running into the problem. I think the might have been down 60. Um, uh, but Aussie banks are sort of down in that sort of 2%, a 2 to 3% range last I, last I checked. Uh, bond yields were falling, which means bond prices rising. So we've got that negative correlation going there. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you're expecting this to continue, and we think, as a base case, um, you know, there's going to be ebbs and flows. There will absolutely be ebbs and flows. But if this is over, you know, the next three or four months, that the case is we're getting more and more bankruptcies, we're getting more and more signs of recession, uh, more and more, you know, issues for, for for banks. Then this is the type of environment we'll see more more often than not. If we start to see those, if it's a head fake, if if things will improve, then um, you know we're back to seeing what we saw recently, which is yeah, bond yields down and. And equities up or vice versa on the day depending upon what's uh whether we're talking about good news or, or bad news and 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 how people are interpreting so um yeah I, I think for us um you know this is a type of thing we've been talking about that, that we're expecting and um uh yeah so you know our, our base case is going to see more of it so i think you've talked a little bit already in the show about some of the things that um might happen to to for our base case not to play out like some of the signals that you, you, we might see but do you want to maybe just try and um quickly review what are the specific things that you will be looking for to see um whether it's going one way or the other uh yeah sure so um and actually we put a piece up as part of the uh, recent performance for you just on the you know the financial market tug, tug of war we, we, we talked about it um that was sort of earlier on this week and you know i think there's there's sort of two main bullish arguments and 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 the main ones is that the 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 key one is the bad news is good news argument which is basically saying we're headed back to, to 2021 where um we get bad economic data and therefore bond yields are going to fall um central banks reverse course and, and start flooding the market with money and 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 that means the earnings multiples so so what people are paying for um in terms of earnings will expand so, so at the moment, um, you know, stock markets are on about 17 and a half times, uh, sorry, 18 and a half times in terms of uh, what the, the forward PE. So uh, this, is, yeah, so this is a global markets excluding financials and resources. So basically what investors are paying uh, 18 and a half times more than what the earnings are. And so if the earnings are going to um, fall away a little bit or, or stay where they are, but what people are prepared to pay for that expands to back to where what we saw sort of um, post pandemic, 
is that there's some upside in terms of that. So, so if your idea is that, look, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking a bet that things are going to get bad, but, but central bank's going to flood, flood us with money. So, yeah, so that's number one. So, so, so really what you're watching for that case is, um, is, is the central bank messaging, um, which at the moment is, is exactly the opposite. They're saying we're going to hold rates higher for longer. But if you've got the expectation that they're going to fold, um, then, um, and bold sooner, then, then that's one. And is part of that really uh, what happens to inflation? Because that's the key difference between now and 2021, isn't it? Like, uh, especially the first half of 2021. Um, yeah. Is now they have a stronger belief that inflation is entrenched and their single most important job is to fight inflation. Yes, that's right. And and, and also, um, you know, there's a lot of talk that, about saying, um, you know, that, you can't trust the you know if inflation falls a bit. You can't trust that it's gone. You know, it can, it can, if you if you ease up too early, then it'll pop straight back again. Yeah, right. Okay. So you need to you need to you know hold on it. You know, hold it down to, to make sure it's truly gone before you before you finally um, relent. And so um, yeah. So but but you know I think where markets come from that first argument is that uh, you know Jay Powell, who's a U.S. Fed. He basically joined the Fed and said, the Fed's not here to backstop markets, you know. It's not our job to, to keep markets high. It's our job to, to keep inflation low. And so that's what, that's what we're here to do. And that's what we're going to do. And pretty soon, I feel like it was in the first couple of months of his, his, uh, his tenure, um, markets were basically, you've raised rates too far. This whole, thing's going, this whole thing's going down. And he basically repeated the same story. And then markets panicked, fell, and he reversed course. And so basically... You know, I guess the argument is, look, he's done it once before, he'll do it again. And so there was maybe that's case, there was but exactly, there wasn't the inflation then. And so, you know, there's, there's okay. an argument there, but I, but I guess I guess for me, you know, in the end, you're, you're basically taking a, a, a bet there that the that central banks are not going to do what they say they're going to do um, and that, um, you know, that, that so markets are pay these. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry. But, but also you, that, that what's going to happen is um, investors are going to pay all this money. Once that happens, investors are going to flood back in and, and rush the market. And it might it might happen, but you're basically taking a bet that investors are going to be irrational. You know, going into a, we're going into a recession, but investors are going to, are going to flood the market with money because uh, they're going to look past it and, and expect that, that you're going to see the rises. All right. Your next bullish argument is about soft landing. And so you're basically saying that, look, the Fed sorted it all out. Um, inflation's just going to slide nice and softly. We're going to keep growing. You know, we're never really going to see a rise in unemployment. We're never going to see a rise in bankruptcies. It'll all be fine. And, and um, earnings, will, earnings will actually keep going up. And, and so, um, uh, you know, so jump in now while, while earnings are, you know, before earnings really kick in and start rising. Um, so, you know, and I think that one, it might happen for me. That's that's a bit of what I'm talking about with that uh, Europe. Is that yeah? If you get an event like you know super warm and and you save you save all these issues in Europe, and maybe there's another one that comes along where uh, you know whatever some breakthrough in terms of energy or or something happens, and you know there's we all of a sudden supply chains are way better, and and you know there's the driverless cars get going, and people save all this money, and you know you just keep if you can just sort of go bang bang bang. There's all these positive events all happen at once. Um, then maybe maybe we're right. Yeah, maybe that, that maybe that all takes off. But it's um, I think that one's got a, there's a there's a pretty narrow path in terms of that being the 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 you know, the outcome that, that matters. But would you say right now that it sort of looks like that's where we're going? Like maybe more because we can't see enough. But yeah, that's the, right. And that maybe that's why people are even considering it as an option. It does sort of feel like that. It'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and look, you know, uh, financial markets have, have pretty short um, attention spans. And so they're like, uh, they're like, well, you know, Fed raised rate ages ago. That was like a whole year ago they started raising rates. Surely, you know, the worst has already happened. Whereas, you know, the economists and stuff like that is like, well, no, no, that, the effect's still coming through. You won't see the effects for a while. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so I think there's a, there's a certain amount of short-sightedness in terms of financial markets. But I think the, the the one thing you do know with the financial markets is um, once they realise it's a mistake, they, but what financial markets are good at doing, they, they, they can be irrational. Particularly, stock markets can be irrational for for a period of time, but once, um, but but they will come back and and they, and they will punish that irrationality afterwards. So yes, they'll be irrational and they might rise fifty or 
50% more than what you expect. But then once the irrational error becomes apparent and, and, and uh, irrefutable, they'll then drop that 50% very, very quickly. And so that's the part, um, right. you know, relying on markets to be irrational for a long time, you know, you can make short-term trades off it, but, um, you know, that's a, uh, you're, you're sort of doing that, picking pennies up in front of steamrollers and, you know, and playing a very dangerous game. Yeah. So that's two. Do the other. So the, the other. Um, so that's the two sort of bullish arguments. On the bearish side, we've got um, you know our our view, which is look, central banks are going to cause a recession, and then they'll reverse. And the question is, you know, they reverse earlier or later. There's some you know, conjecture about that, but that's sort of what we're um, that's what we're expecting. Uh, the, the the big downside risk is that central banks will actually do what they, get, they say they're going to do. Um, which has caused a, a reasonable size recession. I mean, they're, they're not they're not saying they're going to cause a reasonable size recession in terms of their, you know, their, 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 uh, into, but but what the in terms of that being the desired outcome. But what they're talking about in terms of where they're talking, putting interest rates and how long it's going to, how long they're going to stay there and how high they're going to go, is commensurate with levels that would cause a, a, a pretty deep recession in our view. And also. So, but are they also suggesting, not maybe recently, but I do, of course, uh, I feel like both Australia and the Fed um, suggested that they're okay with causing a recession. It's not what yes. their goal is, but their goal is around inflation and what happens after that is what happens. And that, that's why they're separated from the government. Yes. Now, that's, that's true. Um, one of the issues we've got, though, is that, you know, back... In the 80s when paul volcker was doing this we didn't have as much what we, what we call financialization of, of the um of markets in in terms of it of the economy in terms of it being uh you know so much of australia is as an example um you know national identity is bound up in this fact that how high house prices are is that people then house prices go up people then go out and spend more money which actually helps the economy tick over and then so and and so uh, and, and there's a certain element of that in the US as well, and, and potentially more so in terms of the stock market. And so uh, there's this idea that maybe what central banks have actually become is just bubble managers. Is they're like, well, okay, we've got to keep we've got to keep feeding this thing to make sure that the, the bubbles stay high enough. Because once we've inflated these asset bubbles, if they pop, then all of a sudden these people are going to realize they don't have all this money and they're not going to spend anything, and then they're going to create a depression. And so they're like, well, they're managing the wealth effect, how good, how well people feel about how wealthy they are. Exactly. And so the question then is, if that's what they're doing, which for me, that's a, there's a pretty good argument that that, that is what they're doing is in yeah. managing that whole wealth effect, is that when that wealth effect starts to go too far in reverse, they have to reverse because if they don't reverse, they're going to cause a depression. Mm. And that's the part where um, it's fine if house prices fall 10% and you take the top off and uh, the bubble and all that type of stuff. But if house prices fall 30 or 40% and all of a sudden you've got, you know, um, all these people in in way underwater in their mortgages and, and, and you're losing their houses and all these things going on like that, you know, all of a sudden you've devastated the, you know, this massive part of the build up of, of, of the world that you know, is there to service it. And, and you cause a much larger recession or depression than, than what you're expecting. So yes, so that's the danger is, um, you know, are we bubble, are, are, have they become bubble managers? And I think there's a reasonable argument they have. Mm. Yeah. So none of these are in absolutes, you know, it's all, it's all a matter of guessing and, and looking at how they react. But, you know, we, we, we'll probably never find out though. Is, is, a, is our, our base case is we won't find out because what will happen is, uh, It'll go into recession. Um, we'll start getting some bad economic data, and and central banks will reverse course. They won't sit there and, and um, play it out because uh, they'll be uncertain as well. And, and you know, there's probably some realization that they are um, old managers. <laughs> so, valuation. Should we move to valuation? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, so the question for the banks is, you know, how much are you paying for it? So, so it's it's a um, Markets themselves are are expensive. Like they're they're trading sort of closer. As I spoke, they're trading. Oh, sorry. And this is the markets. X banks and resources are trading at sort of the 80th percentile. So in the top 20 percent of how expensive they've been. If you look at all the sectors relative, and I've got a chart up here. Um, you know, just breaking it up into sort of a couple of big sectors. So technology in orange, right at the top, and and um, uh, resources in. Uh, 
in blue right at the bottom, and we can see that the, the finance there is sort of usually trades around about a 20% discount to the market. So this is, yeah, the, the, the finance sector divided by the, the total market um, valuation. And so usually trades about a 20%. It's trading closer to a 30% discount now. So so on a relative basis, it's 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 actually, you know, a reasonable amount of that's priced in. Uh, the issue is a lot of that, though, is priced in Europe. Um, it's not as much priced in, well, until last night, it was a lot of Price in, in the US, it still still looks a little bit expensive in the US. Um, the, the place where it really looks expensive though is Australia. So um, you know Australia is well above its ninetieth percentile. So uh, got the another chart up uh, showing where Australian banks sit relative to world banks, and um, you know except for the last few months, they've basically never been uh, more expensive. And so because uh, which is interesting because they often maybe not this chart doesn't say that but I, I was on the impression they often trade expensive versus their global peers at least during the banks. Uh, yeah they do so, so this one so the average here, now even more yeah the average is almost like 20 percent um okay. more expensive yeah. than the average now at the moment we're trading 45 percent more um okay. expensive than the than the average bank now for a country that you think might lead the globe for recession exactly yeah now now the, there is a, a an argument which um concerns me but it's, but i do think there's a, a reasonable amount of truth here is that there's an argument that says well banks uh, particularly in in recent times uh, have basically been um their returns get get derived really from what regulators will let them have so the u.s and european bank banking regulators really cracked down on on um yeah the amount of leverage following the financial crisis and they're, and they're quite careful in terms of in terms of looking at that that's um, the reserves that we talked earlier about that's where they come in isn't it uh, partly, yeah, sort of how much leverage. So, yeah, so it used to be that, uh, you know, the U.S. banks can, you know, if you adjusted for all the risk ratings and everything, but they could just leverage up, they take a dollar and they leverage it up, you know, 30 times or 40 times or whatever to, 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 to get this return. So you're getting this great return on it, whereas now it's much lower, it's closer to 10 or whatever. So, um, uh, and so there's an argument that actually, Australian banks deserve the trade uh, at a premium because Australian banks are much closer to the regulators. They've, they've captured their regulators much more effectively than, than what we've seen overseas, and and that we saw during the you know they've effectively been given a, a bank guarantee by by the government you know back in the, in the crisis that yeah look we'll you know notionally will effectively you know we'll back it with the well I think there's an expectation that they'll back the, the major banks at least with the, the the balance sheet of the Australian government. And so that's sort of like a free kick you're giving them in terms of pricing. And then, um, uh, you know, we saw during the pandemic that, that, that they all got offered dirt cheap loans. They got to borrow at uh, three-year rates and, and and lend that out to people. And then that got rolled back very slowly. And so, um, you know, I guess the argument is Australian banks deserve to get, um, yeah, deserve a higher bond because they're just better at, at gaming the regulators and they're closer and they've you know, got all, all the requisite Sort of grey corruption, as 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 Cameron Murray puts it, is that you know, grey favours that you know, get done. So maybe that's true. Um, but if you're going into a into a downturn, um, banks are going to get hit. Um, bad debt's going to be higher. Um, you know, if 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 we're right that that the Australian market is more susceptible because um, we've got much more in terms of floating rate interests, we've got the highest debt burdens in the in the world. Then do I want to be paying forty five percent more for Aussie banks than what I'm paying for international banks? And, and my answer is no, I don't. Um, you know, we're we're underweight banks within our portfolios, and and the view is, you know, that's that's the sector. You know, that's one of the sectors that we would have the least amount of exposure to. So the banks um, typically put aside money for um, bankruptcies or delinquencies or. Yeah, um, okay. defaults on houses. Uh, and I, yeah. I think I was reading in CBA's recent results, they've increased their allocation to that. And is, it just, is it a matter of it's just not even close to what they're going to need? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we need, well, the, right? The, for it to be problem, an issue, it's going to be more than they've put, they put aside. Yeah, and the, and the problem with this is, um, so, so, and this is a global, this is not just Australia. The pandemic hit, the banks all went, Oh, oh no, we're in big trouble. We need to put all this. Uh, we need to put all this money aside for all these bankruptcies is going to happen. Then, the, then all these governments changed the rules, so the bankruptcies didn't happen. 
and then they got to write all that money back on the balance sheet. And and that's so this is just in the last two or three years they've gone raise big big things now write them off again. Um, banks they won't raise large enough provisions until they genuinely see the thing through. They're not they're not raising them because they're like okay you know maybe we're going to downturn interest rates are higher and I'll, we'll do it we'll put it in. Um, uh, they're they're more you know they'll do it gradually and and not until um, yeah not until they they sort of have to in a way. So right so. Obviously, with our being a bank analyst and having a look at the numbers, they still have reported pretty decent profits. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just that they're going to become less profitable. And then that's the earnings down. So, that, that's the, the valuation for the multiple. If you buy the same multiple, then they've got to go down the value of share price. Yeah. So, so, higher interest rates are good for banks in that they, they that gap between higher for, for banks that have um, got lots of deposits lots of retail deposits so that's you know coming back to that whole banking sector that's mm-hmm. your magic the magic for a bank is when you get to borrow at really cheap rates from depositors and you get to lend it out at really expensive rates to um to to, to mortgages mortgages and and uh and and those those deposits you know you haven't needed to raise those to those rates very much because they're very very sticky now that the the danger banks are the ones who don't have a lot of deposits and have to go out and borrow that money from somewhere else because the money you borrow from somewhere else, yeah, those guys are the smarter ones or the or the more active ones. They are going to charge you a lot. But, but also, I say they have the purchasing power. I mean, you know, if there were the unions out there for, for people to make deposits, like if they pulled it into you know all the mums and dads into hundred millions of dollar lists that the industry put out, then they'd have more pricing power. Yes, but yeah, but you know, the net effect is but they don't. No, and look, banking systems, most banking systems are still running on you know reasonable amounts of technologies that were built in the nineteen sixties. Um, there's uh, you know, it's not it's it's not simple to you know, everyone knows it. it's it's a genuine hassle to change your bank. So you know, that makes it that makes it much easier to to accept lower lower deposit rates you know, because uh, you can't bother. So um, yeah, so so anyway, so you know the the key then is is saying okay, so you're going to be making more money because interest rates are higher and and, and steeper you know steeper yield curves. So, so effectively, banks are also if you sorry if you do have a steep yield curve, which is because banks are in this part where effectively they're uh, borrowing at the short term and, and lending out at long term rates. So if you can borrow out borrow at you know two or three year rates and, and lend out at, at, at higher ones. Then you can you can make it a, a, a much better return. So um, we haven't got we haven't really we haven't got a steep yield curve at the moment, so that's sort of against them. But we do have you know, the, the gap between deposits and, and and now the question though is if you do go into a genuine um, bankruptcy cycle like a, a, a larger one, then um, it doesn't matter that you're making a little bit extra on your on your margins. The the, the amount you're going to lose out okay. is way bigger than. Than, than you're ever going to make in those extra ones. Uh, does it look like we've got way too much debt um, on a global basis uh, within banks? No, it doesn't really. Um, like we ran through the, the the data we had for the US. The US actually overall looks all right. It's just that it's concentrated in the small banks. So you know, could you run into a bit of a crisis there? Yeah, maybe. Um, but it, you know, less chance of being systemic and, and causing bigger issues. Australia though does have a lot of debt. Um, and um, yeah, Australia does have more, a lot do you, more. Debt. Do you mean at the household level or at the, com- the corporation level? Yeah, okay. household level. And oh, so right, to keep okay. to keep in, in in just big picture sense, I didn't put this chart up. Actually, I should have put this one in as well. Is that um, what the question on interest rates is is for for individuals? Is do levels matter or does the change matter? And what and and this affects everything. Stock markets, you know. Every, Everything gets affected by this. Similar types of arguments about, you know, short selling. You know, does it matter how much there's been short sell, or is it a change in short selling? And, you know, all these other things. Like so, um, and, and and the answer is they both matter. But the question is which matters most? Because if you look at if you look at the actual rates that we that people are paying, is you go, okay, they're high for interest rates, but they were higher a couple of times. You know, they were higher pre GFC. They were higher in sort of uh, um, you know back in the nineties when we had the crash or whatever. Um, as a percentage of so what are people paying in interest as a percentage of gdp if you look at that and you say okay well they were definitely higher in the price time if you look at the change though 
um, over like an 18 month period, which is sort of the, the, the period that interest rates usually take to, to have effect. Um, over an 18 month period, the, the highest change we've seen before is about 2% of GDP. So effectively, when you, you take the, the amount of interest that's being paid and you multiply it by the, the interest rate change for, on mortgages, and then you look at that, how big is that as a percentage of GDP, and then you look at it 18 months later. And so back in the 90s, it changed by about 2%. So we ratcheted up rates, and it basically took 2% of GDP away from households and put it and you know, gave it as, as interest payments. And so... Whereas the change over the last 18 months has been uh, over 4%. So we're basically looking at double the speed that we've ever done this before in terms of magnitude. And so, exactly. Is that enough to do, you know, cause the harm or not? Um, Oh, and sorry, actually, when you say it hasn't finished yet, it's actually interesting as well in terms of, I'm sort of leaning to the, the, to the, to the, to the view that, look, um, sometimes what the RBA is doing actually doesn't matter for for, for home, uh, mortgage rates. So there was a point there. There was what there was a, some rate rises that happened. I think it was the December ones maybe, where banks actually banks at their standard variable rate um, put it up up by 0.25, but actually cut their discounted rates. And so while the RBA had raised its rates, all the discounted rates actually got cut. And so the net effect on an on an individual. They could, they could get one of the, the professional packages, which are, are pretty broad in terms of the speaking for people. Um, you know, the affordability actually got better in that month when, when it went up. The other thing is we sort of track, um, for all this stuff, we track what's the uh, what's the three-year mortgage rate and what's the uh, standard variable mortgage rate um, or the discounted standard variable mortgage rate when, when we do the comparison, try to work out what are people doing. Because... Three-year rates really haven't moved as well, and and so they're now they're starting to come below the standard variable rates, and so the question is, okay, so say the RBA adds one more percent to the to the interest rate, people are out paying, you know, the standard variable rate seven and a half or eight percent or whatever it is, but the three-year rate's still back down at six six point two five or six point three or whatever, is that well, most people will probably end up taking the three-year mortgage rate, like there, there's there's that question about what are they going to and, and it was it was the opposite problem during the financial crisis, during the pandemic was that um, yeah standard variable rates didn't move but the three year rate plummeted because they gave all this extra cheap funding to and so we sort of flipped around and went well let's not look at affordability stats on the standard variable rate we really need to look at the three year rate and so so when you say the three year rate hasn't changed when do you mean it hasn't changed by because you guys are obviously talking a lot about how these fixed um, mortgages are about to roll off and people are going to get smashed. Oh yeah, yeah. That's for the people who are rolling off. But I guess what I'm saying, if you're if you're taking out a new if you're taking out a new mortgage last month, say, mm-hmm. so you're about you're about to buy a oh, you know, right. first home, and you're like, okay, I, I can choose between um, standard variable rate or a fixed rate, and they're roughly about the same. Uh-huh. And then you roll forward to this month, and you go, oh, the standard variable rate's now 0.25 higher. The fixed rate hasn't changed though. And right. so now it's a question of like, do I, do I pay 6.5 for my standard variable or do, I, or do I just take the 6.25? And so, and then if that they raise rates again next month and now it goes from 6.5 yeah. to 6.75, but I can still pick it up the, the three year for 6.25. Well, they've raised rates, but on the, the, is the effect on new housing really going to be that much? Yeah, I see that. So then obviously there's some pricing unit rates coming back down if, if that's what's happening in the three years. Yeah, so um, I mean, that's what financial markets uh, talked a little bit before about the, dis- the real disconnect. So central central banks are saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to raise rates up to here and we're going to leave them up there. And financial markets are pricing in that, no, you ain't. You're going to mm-hmm. raise rates and then in the second half of this year, you're going to be cutting it again because we're going to be in recession. So that's what that's what markets are pricing in. We're, we're much closer to that view. Um, but... You know, if central banks are right, that was a, that was a downside risk. Is if central banks are right and they genuinely cause a big recession in order to make sure they stop on inflation, then there's big downside for earnings and big downside for share prices. In that case, it's a you know it's a risk case, but earnings could fall twenty percent easily from where they are now. And if earnings fall by by twenty percent, then people aren't going to be paying you know in the top twentieth percentile of earnings ever. They're going to cut. You know, you, you get a double fall. You get twenty percent taken off your multiple, and you get twenty percent. Yeah, taken off. sure. Your, your earnings and so yeah yes yeah excellent exciting times yeah nice one guys uh so one other thing i'd like to share 
is Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia, which has been labeled ETFs 2.0. So these are currently a, a huge and growing uh, segment of the market in the US and Europe. So the benefit of direct indexing is you directly hold each stock in your professionally managed account, as opposed to an ETF where you have one fixed security. So ours are a similar cost to ETFs, and they allow you to customize your, your investment with our ready-made and bespoke ethical sector and asset class screens and tilts. We have around 80 to choose from, and this allows you to customize your portfolio. So an example of how you could use this is you could exclude fossil fuels and exclude Australian banks from your portfolio. And you could include, for example, a lithium battery tilt and a cloud computing tilt if you think they're positioned to do well in the future. So that's just a, a brief overview there. Um, you can uh, check out more information on our homepage, nucleuswealth.com. So now we have our viewer question of the week. So this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. And the question for this week is, are US regional banks the opening act in a banking crisis? So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. And uh, uh, we've had uh, a comment come through from one of our viewers uh, saying, don't forget things like derivatives would have to be repriced up to make a return. Uh, these things may work well in a falling interest rate environment, but not so well on rising rates. So Damo, have you got any, or Shelley, got any comments yeah. about that? Yeah, I think um, it's a it's a an adjacent comment, but it's it's, it's talking about um, yeah some of the the two ones we had from overnight were both both cases where one was dealing in cryptocurrencies and the other one was um, you know, effectively taking money from from um, uh, from one market the the Silicon Valley market tech raises and stuff putting it into to to treasuries and so running a mismatch is that when the uh, the tides in uh there's lots of people doing those things and, and just weird stuff that you're just not expecting and and they're making these small margins and and sort of everyone's happy and paying them sort of bonuses and then the tide goes out and all of a sudden people are like oh i had a huge mismatch in terms of timing or a mismatch in terms of uh your duration and all these other factors uh and that's what can blow up these things we saw a couple of them uh last year with some of the uh uh, Credit Suisse and a couple of other um, had a couple of hedge funds over the last little while do the same type of thing. Um, so the, the, I guess what the point is is that um, sometimes you just don't know what these institutions have been up to trying to eke out returns. And, and when you get sudden changes uh, in interest rates and sudden changes, um, it can show up the fact that people just people have got these exposures that they just never even considered would um, you know would react in the way that they did. And, and on that basis. This is exactly what we would expect to see, I would imagine. Um, David, I think we were talking about you doing a, an episode recently on, on the, the business cycle. Um, I, I missed that one if you did do it. But, um, that's the one we keep delaying. No, that's the one who's delayed, okay, it's coming. Yeah. I won't spoil it. But um, we've had such a low return environment. And, um, I, you know, I think this is something we've talked a lot about internally at least is that what happens is people go up the risk spectrum looking for returns in that environment, corporates as well as um, retail and um, stores, and, and that's what's happened here. They, you know, they have gone up the the risk curve, and and now they're paying for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's called the Minsky moment. Um, so you know, there's a the economist Hyman Minsky who um, sort of popularised the idea that basically when you get periods of long long periods of stability. That what you what you then get is um, uh, people then start taking more risk. People people like to have a bit of risk, and if they think they, they think things have been really stable for a long time, then they say, well, actually things are so stable, I can afford to take a little bit more risk. I can afford to take a little bit more and keep going with the, until they finally, um, you know, the, when when things do return to normal, then then they've got way more leverage than, than they should have had in that, uh, that scenario. It's interesting that what happened in the UK in September. Um, with the, the May budget, uh, it didn't shake that out. People, it didn't shake many people out of these positions because the turnaround was so quick that it kind of it reinforced this idea of you know the central banks as the bubble managers, the governments yeah, as the exactly. bubble managers. Yeah, 
I don't need to worry about that. As long as I'm, as long as I'm, as long as I'm in the trade that everyone else is in, then I should be fine because someone will bail me out. <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah, hopefully not true. Um, you know, and, and the, you, you know, you, and you don't want to be there the day it is true. But uh, you know, for, for for a lot of people, that's especially the short term, you know, short term traders. That's you know, they're basically well. I'll just keep keep running with the keep running with the bulls and. Yeah, you know, I rely on the fact that when the herd turns, I'll, I'll get out of the way and I won't be the one stampeded. And it's like, well, maybe you will be. Excellent. Nice one, guys. So if you enjoy our content and want us to continue to make more, please subscribe to our YouTube channel now and click the bell below to make sure you don't miss out on any new content. We do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below or send us an email at contact at ecosewealth.com. Don't forget to like the video now, and if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. And if you'd like to look at the slides in more detail, we'll post them in the show notes this afternoon, and you can view these at ecosewealth.com forward slash webinars. Also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content, or subscribe on our homepage for our weekly Nucleus news and investment insights. We do put out a lot of other articles and videos in addition to this podcast, so you can check them out there. And of course, you can follow us on all major social media. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, Shelley. Uh, so from myself and the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now.